proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every so often, someone comes along and kind of pushes their way into my life, and they tell me they're controversial and that they have a lot of opinions and that some people don't like them, and that draws me to them more than anything else. My guest today is award-winning journalist Kevin Deutsch. Kevin is also the author of two books. He is the host of A Dark Turn in the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Um, He is a true crime junkie. He is also uh, one of the principals for the nonprofit Bronx Justice News, where he reports on everything happening in the Bronx, New York. Um, His book, Pill City, is about a high-profile dispute involving allegations made by members of the media that he supposedly fabricated, but I don't think that's so. It's an account of how two teens used opioids um, and looted the 2015 Baltimore riots to sell drugs using an Uber-like app and found a nationwide criminal justice syndicate. It's my pleasure to welcome to Authors on the Air for the first time, my friend Kevin Deutsch. Kevin, welcome and thank you for being here with me today. Pam, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I I appreciate it. You know, um, when when you and I met, we were kind of, the network was kind of doing a call out for Uh, people who wanted to do a podcast on true crime and you jumped in right away and you said, but I have to tell you that, you know, some people don't like me. And I thought, well, you know, hell's bells. I like that. I I like controversy. I like the fact that some people don't agree with, with you and your reporting and everything else. But the fact of the matter is you have two fantastic books out right now. And that, made me want to know you and to work with you. Tell me, first of all, about journalism. Well, journalism has always been my passion. I started in journalism uh, when I was uh, about uh, 20 20 years old. I was uh, freelancing uh, high school baseball stories at the Orlando Sentinel. And I was such a big baseball, I was a huge baseball fan. And then I got into crime reporting and I was lucky enough to get an unpaid internship at the Miami Herald, um, which I then parlayed into a, into a job on staff. And uh, I learned uh, the ropes as like a 21- and 22-year-old kid at the Miami Herald Brower Bureau, just covering cops, having a, poli- having a police scanner on my desk, and I would run out. You know, I worked the night shift, the 3 to, three to 10 or 11, run out on fires, shootings, car accidents. Uh, anything you could think of, and it was just the best possible training for a for a kid, a 21 year old kid who didn't know squat. Um, and I learned how to write fast and and clear uh, and on deadline, and that's the best training you could really have for 
as, as a writer um, is, is that, that, that solid journalism foundation for breaking news and being able to write really fast, accurately and clearly. And so I, I've been in journalism for, I guess, uh, 16 years now. And uh, I've worked at the Palm Beach Post, the New York Daily News, the News, uh, Newsday. And now I'm working at a nonprofit uh, local news site called Bronx Justice News that focuses on criminal justice and uh, public interest issues um, uh, in the Bronx. Uh, and we particularly focus on issues that, uh, um, that are uh, undercovered issues like poverty, um, criminal justice, over-policing, hunger, um, all these issues that, the, that, um, that low-income and middle-income people in the Bronx really need covered and which the mainstream news outlets in New York City really just don't have the resources to cover anymore. Well, they maybe not have the resources, but they also don't have the will or the intention to cover, wouldn't you say? I would say that absolutely. I mean, there's having worked in corporate media for 16 years, I can tell you that even if reporters and editors have the best of attention, intentions and, and are idealists and want to cover, uncover fraud and, and afflict the comfortable and uh, comfort the afflicted, um, at the end of the day, there's a profit margin that needs attention and, and needs pay, to be paid attention to. And there, at the end of the day, there's corporate bosses and there are people who need to make money. There are political interests. Um, there are special interests. And journalism in that way is no different from any other big industry that is trying to stay afloat and trying to show profits every year um, and every quarter. So, uh, um, you know, that's, a, that's something that, that journalists don't really like to talk about. Uh, to the public, but that's a fact. And I saw, and uh, you know, every paper I worked at, there were interests that were not the interests of the people um, that that came into play, and that affected day-to-day coverage by reporters. And uh, one of the things that one of the reasons we wanted to, to to launch Bronx Justice News is to basically fight back against that and to sh- and to show people that um, you can cover poverty. You know, there might there, there's not there's not a lot of profit in covering covering hunger and pro- poverty and and relations between police and the public, and that's not those aren't sexy issues, and that's why we want to True. cover them. And if if the American public wants journalism uh, to fuel a, a sound and healthy democracy, they need to be willing to pay to to make donations to nonprofit news sites um, or subscribe to a local newspaper. Um, but but at the end of the day. You're right. There's not a lot of will in newsrooms always, especially on the at the upper echelons, the upper uh, levels of the company, to to cover issues involving black and brown Americans because there right. are there's not a lot of money in those communities. Therefore, there's not a lot of advertising dollars in the communities, and they're trying to appeal to a readership that 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 has money. And at the end of the day, um, that those are the communities that are going to get the most coverage are the white, the more, more white, more affluent communities, not the ones that we're focusing on at Bronx Justice News. So my question is, you know, I'm born and raised in Miami, as you know, and the Miami Herald was my go, obviously go-to news source, uh, um, along with some others, but mostly the Miami Herald. And as the publisher changed, so did the slant of, of the news in the paper. My, my question is, when you signed on as this young and eager journalist, um, were did you know that you wanted to write true crime, and or or was it kind of assigned to you and you grew into it? 
Well, when you when you it, that's a that's a really good question because when you're a young reporter, um, crime is often the the when you have basically no experience. I had very little experience outside of freelancing high school baseball for the Orlando Sentinel, and writing right. news and features news and features at at one of our, at the alternative college newspaper um, where I worked. So, so you come in and you're very green. You're 21 years old, and the first thing they're going to do is try to give you police briefs because it's a they need every newspaper, every news organization needs bodies to go out and cover breaking news that's the thing that because they, they have the reporters covering the the high the, the 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 really difficult issues the political issues the budget issues they need someone to go basically put out fires which is like breaking crime news and so you're right that's like can you sink or swim so they'll send they'll say kevin go out and cover this drowning or this shooting you know and let's see if you can do it and if you could do it they keep giving you more and that's how you become a reporter. <laughs> Interesting. That's how you, so, you know. but a lot of these, when it's the crime beat, a lot of them, um, if I remember from my journalism when I was in college, that, uh, you know, the police department's spokesperson hasn't already prepared a statement that they hand out to all the journalists who are present when they're making their announcements. It's not like you're doing investigative reporting. You are simply taking a press release and turning it into the who, what, why, where, and when, and how for your paper. And generally, if you are that beat reporter, you're not getting above the fold coverage. Is that true? And I would say that that's mostly true. And what you're what you're describing about the press release is certainly what what what, what increasingly happens when when newspapers are understaffed, don't have the budget, and that's certainly what the police departments want to have happen. They just want you to follow that press release. But I think all good reporters want to go way beyond the press release. Number one, be able to independently verify everything the police department is saying. Number two, go well beyond what's in that press release. Get details that aren't in there. Uh, because any official government agency is only going to want to tell you what the part of the story they want to tell you. I mean, even, right. even, if they, even, even if they're trying to be completely transparent, generally there are parts of the story that don't get told for whatever reason. Right. Either because they're trying to protect uh, information not to compromise their investigation or for some other reason. Uh, but, but, but that's absolutely true. So my goal as a reporter is always to take that press release and look at it and say, okay, that's one element of my story. Now let me go out, go out and do all this other stuff. And flesh the story out and make and, and make it as accurate and useful to the reader as possible. But but in truth, at a lot of newspapers now, that press release is what's going in the newspaper because they just don't have the time and they don't have the money and the reporters are overworked. If there even even is a reporter assigned that beat, which right. in many communities there there isn't. And what you said about going above the fold is absolutely right. A lot of times, community crime stories get very little play. They're on the inside pages, or if you're in a digital publication, even they're, they're very hard to find. And these are some of the most important stories in our, to, to the person who, who, who has a shooting on their block. That's the most important story of the day. And, it, so, it sure for them, and so for them, that's above the fold. You know, so so what, I'm, what we're trying to do with Bronx Justice News and, and what I think nonprofit news in general it needs, to, it needs to look at it is trying to find a way to speak to those readers and, and give them that so that everyone feels like they can get that above the fold story um, and, and they're not, and it's not, it's not going to be a, uh, you don't, you know, it's, it's not some, um, it's not a bunch of editors in a room making, who make six figures talking about what stories are going to go above the fold that day, which a lot of people right. don't know, but that, that's basically how the news is, is news organizations are run in this country and, and in 
uh, other Western democracies. And so I think we need a complete paradigm shift in the way that's done, where the community members are the ones driving the coverage and we give them what they want, which is the stories that matter to them, not what matters to six editors in a room in a Manhattan skyscraper. Right. I I understand that. Um, as a young reporter, and, and, and in the old days they called you a cub reporter, um, were you given leeway to go ahead and actually investigate? Or did you just have to take your notes from whoever was speaking, maybe the chief of police or the – you know, the the spokesperson from from the police department, along with the press release, whatever it is that they handed to you, did you have an opportunity to investigate, actually investigate anything in the beginning, or did you have to earn your chops to do that? You definitely have to earn your chops to do that. And and, when, and frankly, at the beginning, you're not even really prepared to, to do much more than that. Than the basic press conference. I mean, that that's an order in itself is being able to take, uh, take basically official facts from official government agencies. And, and when you're like 21 years old and not screw it up, <laughs> you know, right, you know, right, right. So, so, so really at the beginning, and so that's one element is one, you're young when you're first starting out, so you don't really have that opportunity. Uh, number one, when you're 21, the newspaper isn't going to trust you to go out and do, conduct investigations. Right. So, you know, you, well, you're basically the investigative portion of your job as a cub reporter in this country and any news organization is uh, you're going to do the press conference. You're going to get the official line from the cops, from witnesses, but where you, where you can really earn your, earn your keep, where you can really make a difference to your readers is by knocking on every door you can in the vicinity, by making every call you possibly can, by going the extra mile to get that extra information, by, by, by canvassing the neighborhood the way a police detective would. Right. And a lot of reporters, um, don't have don't have the interest or don't have the time to do that. So even but even when you're a cub reporter, that's that's something that you could do that has that that's investigative techniques. That's going out there right. and digging and dig and go and going to people and going to places and making them trust you and soliciting information from them. And and also if you have time to to go through public records. And every newspaper right. has every newspaper has a library and a researcher and. As a reporter, right. as a cup reporter, you have just as much access to that researcher. And, and these people used to be really good. I mean, fewer and fewer of them exist now in newspapers because those right. are often the first people to get cut. Um, right. So, you know, but, but yes, yeah, you're absolutely right in that at the beginning, it's just not what you just don't have that space because you're not ready for it. And, and, but as you, but it, it's sort of like it's, it's the job, as, as the job becomes more complex, you become better at what you do. And um, but it's almost it, you know it's almost like we're almost talking about a bygone time because there's hard the, the industry has shrunk shrunk something like seventy percent in the last fifteen years. Right. You well, know? that's what I wanted to ask you about because it seems to me that you know I it breaks my heart when I see newspapers folding because to me a newspaper for your hometown was the one who delivered the most the information that you needed. I, in in my worldview, and you know, and this is simply this is just me. I want to know first of all what's happening in my own community. Then I want to know what's happening in my state, and then I want to know what's happening nationally and then worldwide. But the most important thing that affects me is what's happening in my community. And I think with you know the loss of so many newspapers because everything is digital now. Um, I think we're not as aware of what is going on in our own communities. Is that true? 
I think that that's undoubtedly true. I think that uh, yeah. most people most people watch TV, most people get their news from TV now, and they don't realize how much they're missing. Because there's in, mo- in most communities now, there's no there's no reporter covering uh, the local government meetings. There's no reporter right. looking looking at the local pol- political donations. There's no reporter looking at the hiring in, of in city agencies and what kind of nepotism is going on or what kind of backscratching right. and favor string pulling is going on. So all these and so so people look around. They're like, well. You know, everything feels good in my life. The community seems okay. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff going on that, that they're missing and that would probably make them right. really angry, make them really angry. Right. And if, if we don't have local watchdogs in our communities, we, at the end of the day, we're going to be the ones who are getting built. Uh, well, systems fall see. apart if you're not watching. It, you know, the governmental systems, uh, their only watchdog is actually a free press. So if you don't exactly. have someone who's checking on those things, I mean, I've always believed in a free press. And, you know, in, in this day and age, the media is pilloried. But that's unfortunate because, uh, you know, if like you said, we turn to television and television has become so partisan as well. I, You know, it's not like Walter Cronkite, who, who actually just had a nonpartisan no holds barred view of what was going on in the news, even at the local level. So, um, you know, what do we as consumers and as citizens do to find out what's going on in our communities? What is the best way for us to be in touch with what is happening? Are community newspapers the answer? I mean, you know, in Miami, the community newspapers was a big thing. They sent out additions to all the cities and everything, the municipalities. And so we were aware of what was going on. There was a crime beat reporter for, you know, coverage and everything. How do we as citizens and residents of our communities actually find out what's happening? Well, it, it's it's increasingly really hard to do that, and and yeah. I think the answer the answer is, 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 is there's a couple elements to that. Number one, as imperfect as as mainstream newspapers are, you know, as imperfect as they are, as, as because of corporate interests, because of lack of funds, because of um, not not really uh, in many cases caring about the underclass the way they should, and focusing on advertisers with money who can foot right. the bills. Um, as, as imperfect as that whole system is, the advertising-driven, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, news uh, news model, we still need to approach. We still need to support those outlets because they still have the most talented reporters and the most money. And so, right. if those found, if those institutions collapse, I mean, if you think we're in trouble now, wait till you see what happens if those institutions collapse. Wait till you see what wait, happens if there's, if there's no Miami. Ha- if there's right. nothing, right? right. So, so that's right. Uh, that's number one. So support your local newspaper. It doesn't take much to to spend, you know, three dollars a month on a subscription or whatever you're going to get for five dollars right. for a digital subscription. Number two, support non local nonprofit news sites like the, you know, like we've got Bronx Justice News. There's another uh, great site in New York that just launched called The City. Um, nonprofit news is where you you wipe the slate clean with those corporate interests. You wipe the slate clean with the corporate bonuses. These are people who are working for you, for the public. We want stories from you. We work for you, and we're here to to bridge that gap between what what the news, what the mainstream press used to cover, and what they now cover. And, and we want to fill right. in the gap. So, 
So take, set some money aside if you're at home and you really care about news to support your local newspaper. Also support uh, the, 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 non, the local nonprofit. Or, and if one doesn't exist, start, start encouraging people to do it or do it yourself if you're, if you, if you're really you that passionate. You know, or there do it you yourself. And, and, and by the way, start blogs, post about things that are going on in your community. Um, because of the hyper-partisan atmosphere in this country, and, and, and that, that's obviously translated into, into the news, especially television news, um, you know that it, it's, it's. I think it's useful to think about the origins of, 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 of. Well, I don't want to say the origins of journalism because American journalism was always highly partisan when it began. Um, right. Before, even before and after the Revolutionary War, during the Civil War, and after that. But but what they teach in journalism school is objectivity, right? And that you should right. be a dispassionate, dispassionate observer. And so right. I think what we need in our communities are dispassionate observers. Now you could be passionate and be like, this is wrong. You know, when I when I write something, I want the reader to be outraged if it's wrong. Like poor people being abused is wrong. Poor people getting cheated right. is wrong. People being right. hungry in the streets in America, that's wrong. Like that's not that's not partisan. You know, th- so for me, like that's, you could but, right. There's but a line in the be, sand, right? Right. Right, but you do need to be a neutral observer. Like you can call out something that's horrible, but but I think people need fair-minded journalists, and I think we can all be that if we care about our communities. And so even if we don't have a, a newspaper or nonprofit news site, we have the power of social media now to inform our our neighbors. And it's really important right. to do that. I mean, it's it's so important. And, and I think we all need to, to take it as a – what's going on in this country right now in terms of the attacks on our free press and and the corporatization increasingly of, of the press where there's there are only a few companies that own all these big media channels all the big, and newspapers. Yes. Monolith, yeah, so we need, for sure. We, yeah. The monolith. So we need to band together as citizens if we care about this country and we care about the flow, the free flow of information, and do this on our own in, in many cases. So, so it's three. You know, you support the you support the local newspaper, you support the local nonprofit, and you do your own. You become essentially your own your own daily bugle in your community because that's what people need. That's what makes community it's a great idea. Healthy, healthy, and uh, it's a so great think, idea. So. I want to I want to take a step back because for listeners um I want to uh express that Kevin and I kind of lived in the same area. Uh, we're both from South Florida. Um but Kevin has an interest in some of the m- most interesting unsolved true crime cases. And one of those events is the Boca Mall murders. Will you talk to us a little bit about this, please, Kevin? Absolutely. The Boca Mall murders were uh, a series of, of murders and attacks that occurred in Boca Raton, as well as in suburban Boca, just outside Boca City Limits in, uh, in 2007. And uh, at the time, I was working at the Palm Beach Post as a police reporter, and I covered these attacks um, and the aftermath of them. And I've been cover- I've been writing about them on and off for since 2007, uh, for 12 years. And uh, the, the, so there's a series of attacks um, that that occurred that year that really shocked Boca. And, and even if people have never been to Boca, they know its image is sort of this like posh uh, place that's full of rich people and retirees, which is partially true, but it's also a lot more complex. Now within Boca, there's a, a there, uh, there's an upscale mall called the Town Center of Boca Raton Mall, and in March of 2007, a 52-year-old um, mother of two named Randy Gorenberg was shopping at the mall, 
um, sort of this sunsplash, beautiful uh, shopping center with all these high-end retail shops. And presumably everyone who lived in Boca who, uh, thought that it was very secure. Um, Boca has a lot of um, uh, upper-income residents, and uh, they like to shop at, at Town Center, and they did at this, this time and still do. So in 2007, Randy Gornberg was coming out of the mall. She'd done a little shopping, bought a John Legend CD and some clothes at Old Navy. And uh, surveillance footage captures her leaving uh, the mall, and then she's not seen again until an hour later when she's, uh, she's, she's shot in her head and tossed out the side of her uh, Mercedes-Benz SUV in a nearby park uh, in suburban Delray Beach, which is not too far from Boca. And um, she's murdered. Uh, the killer drives her car a short distance, escapes. Uh, he remains uh, uncaught to this day. We don't know who he is. Um, so th- at the time, we thought that was an isolated incident because Boca has very few murders, and they're usually uh, solved very quickly because they're generally domestic. Uh, we know who did it. Right? This, was a, this was a mystery. Um, a couple months later, um, there was another attack. Uh, this time it was a, mo- a mother and her infant son um, and her, and her, uh, her two-year-old son attacked, uh, uh, kidnapped in this, from the same area of the Boca Mall parking lot. Only this time they were bound uh, in their luxury SUV. Randy Gornberg also had a luxury SUV. Uh, bound uh, with goggles placed over the mother's eyes, blacked out goggles so that she can't see through the lenses. My God. Uh, sort of ritual, ritualistic in the approach. But in this case, uh, you know, they're both let go. Um, there's a gun. The killer, uh, the, 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 the gunman has a gun, but he lets them go after sort of toying with them for, for quite a while uh, and, and, cause, and forcing her to drive around. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so it was this whole ordeal. And I interviewed that, that uh, the mother was along with my colleague at the time, Mike LaForgia, and uh, we published an interview with her and she, she lived and she was traumatized. And a couple months later, there was another, uh, another, uh, Mother and her young daughter, uh, Nancy Bokikio, she was 47. Her little daughter, Joey, was seven years old. They were leaving that same entrance of the mall where the where Randy Gorenberg had come out and near where the uh, August victims had come out, and they were abducted, uh, again, bound in their vehicles, again, the, in a luxury SUV, again, the mother blindfolded with black dot goggles. They were both executed. The killer, again, oh got away. Oh, my God. So... You know, you have this series of attacks, and you also had a, an attack, a very similar attack at at at, um, at Meisner Park, which is another upscale shopping center in Boca Raton, around yes. the, in the in the same year. So you've got um, three people murdered, uh, including two young mothers. You've got a young mother and her child barely escaped death, and you've got this other attack in Meisner Park where the where the young victim survived. Now, we we believe that the that the 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 attacks involving the goggles and the um, and the ritualistic binding using zip ties, binding of the, the victim's legs and feet. So th- those attacks all seem related. The police say that those that's probably pretty clearly the same attacker. Uh, what we don't know is that all those attacks were carried out by the same attacker or attackers. And this is something that the FBI has looked at. They've prof- they, they've done multiple profiles on the potential killer killers. Um, it's a case that's still shrouded in secrecy uh, after 12 years because wow. the num- number one, there are multiple jurisdictions who have the cases. One is is belong to the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office, right. uh, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. The others belong to Boca Raton Police Department, which are they're very secretive. 
I've been battling them for public records for, you know, uh, a year for, for going, well, going back to when I first covered the cases and then for the better part of the past year or two for more recent cases, they say uh, it's an, an active investigation. And under Florida law, you can keep a lot of records secret if you right. say that a, an investigation is active. But after 12 years, um, the truth is that very little is being done on these investigations. The call to action so you, is, I, is I'm assuming you've gone through FOIA and they're still not releasing anything. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, I've gone. I've, I've gotten a lot. I have gotten a lot of records through other channels, um, which which hopefully will be coming out soon in, in my reporting. Um, you know, this has been a project I've been working on, uh, but for, for for quite a while. And right. so, but, but the FOIL, the FOIL aspect, uh, yeah, that's, that's led to some um, release of some records, some records, but very few. Most of the, most of the case file, if, and most, almost all of the case file remains secret, um, and it's going to take a, probably a protracted court battle to get that case file released. An interesting, uh, uh, an interesting, interesting precedent for this is, is a case that just came out of Orlando in which uh, – Jennifer Kessie, a young woman who was presumably murdered, she's still, she's still never been found, uh, also about 12 years ago, her family took the Orlando uh, Sheriff's Office to court, Orange County Sheriff's Office to court, I believe, and they recently uh, got it, settled the case so that they got the case file. But they had to fight the, they had to fight the authorities tooth and nail to get the case file. And, and that's expensive. Own. Yeah, it's yeah, expensive invo- to be yeah. doing that. And that's their own daughter's murder, you know. And, and so, so, and so, it was, it was the same rationale. It's an ongoing investigation, except except there is no ongoing investigation. It's just right. it's just one detective. It's a cold case, a tip, right? Right. If a tip right. if a tip comes in, he'll work it. But right. you know, imagine if you gave this information to the public with the power of the internet now, the power of social media. You know, we could we could solve this. We could solve this thing. And and by so, by holding on to this information, it doesn't do it. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't do um, anybody good. I agree with you. There yeah. is nothing like bringing the light on it. it. You know, the cockroaches crawl underneath, but you bring the the light on it, and other people, you know, are are involved. Kevin, if someone knows anything about the Boca Mall and the Boca murders, where should they contact you? Uh, go on my Facebook page, which is the Boca Mall Murders Investigation. You go on Facebook. You could even just Google it, Boca Mall Murders Investigation Facebook, um, and we'll come right – or just type that in on your Facebook search bar. We'll come right up. We've gotten hundreds of tips from readers um, and people who live in Boca and around the country, people who have given me a tremendous amount of information. So there, there are all these leads. There are dozens of leads that I've been tracking for the past year and following them down. And, right. And, 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 and traveling around the country to, to sort of follow them up and, and try to try to bring justice to these families. Um, uh, the the uh, brother of uh, Randy Gorenberg, um, who lives in, in D.C., um, you know, he he so I reached out to him and he wants he wished he wished me success and he wants he he, he hopes that I can help bring justice uh, to his sister and, and get some answers where none were have been uh, available so far and the public has been so um, uh, responsive to our, to our Facebook page and to my solicitations for information. And this is stuff that obviously the police department would rather, you know, that, 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 that I'm not here doing this. Um, I would and, imagine. And I, think I, I, I think that they have like almost um, an ego thing in the way that they're unwilling to go ahead and open up the case and say, help us, you know, help us find this. Um, we're running out of time, but I want to go to your books. 
You've written two books. One of them is called Pill City and the other is called The Triangle. Um, I'm particularly interested in Pill City because you talk about the opioid epidemic in this country. And I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone who is affected by the opioid crisis. Um, Yet you had detractors who said, no, this isn't possible. You're wrong. Your information is wrong. The fact of the matter is, I think everybody knows someone who has an opioid problem. Let's talk about Pill City. Pill City was my second book, and it was sort of a, an outgrowth of my first book, which was The Triangle, a year, the Triangle. On the ground New York, a year on the Ground with New York's Bloods and Crips, which I reported in an uh, impoverished pocket of Long Island. Um, in an area called the Linden Triangle that was being fought over by a local blood and crypt set. So I told the story of this, this local gang war and also the national uh, historic gang war between the blood and the crypts nationally. And one of my sources for that book um, turned me on to the story of what was going on in Baltimore uh, right around the time that the riots began in Baltimore. And so I, I got there as fast as I could. I began reporting on the looting of, uh, of uh, roughly 32 pharmacies and methadone clinics in Baltimore, which is uh, the, most, uh, the, the largest looting incident of drugs, the largest drug theft, uh, pharmacy theft ever in the United States. Um, a massive amount of drugs in, let, uh, were stolen from the uh, pharmacies, places like CVS, Walgreens, etc., and injected into the local drug markets, which the police department at the time said created a lot of strife and instability in those local drug markets and to a lot of violence. So a lot of a lot of new products right. on the street. A lot of a lot of people who didn't have product before had some. They start, you know, there was a lot of a lot of uh, an already very very dangerous gang situation and drug situation in Baltimore was sort of intensified and got a shot in the arm. Um, you know, you know, so to speak, it's, it, it was, it was like, right. all, it was just, it, it was like steroids to the drug, local drug market. It was like, it just got this boost and, and it, it and things went crazy. There was uh, violence spiked, uh, murders spiked, homicide spiked, drug overdoses spiked. So I spent uh, the, the next year reporting on the gangs that benefited from those looted drugs, in particular, two young men. Uh, named Brick and Wax, who worked hand-in-hand with a, a low, very powerful Baltimore gang called the Black Gorilla Family, BGF, who uh, it was so powerful that they actually had to shut down the local Baltimore jail and start over because BGF was wow. in control of the jail. And, and, and so I wrote, a book about, I wrote a book about this, and I was attacked uh, immediately upon the book's publication, even before I was getting, you know, it was a very, it was, it was a, a group of, uh, media reporters in Baltimore who really had a vested interest in, in, in not missing this story. And rather than just asking me to go through my documents and carefully parsing my reporting and sitting down with them, they attacked it, and, uh, which led to other criticism of my work, a lot of scrutiny of my work. And, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I, I 100% stand by the book. I always have, as did my publisher, because the book is true. What the critics had a problem with, and where and where and where they were able to um, come after us, is the fact that we changed a lot of details in the book, which we were open about at the, at right. the front of the book. Changed a lot. Well, of because you. Of well, let me ask you this. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, if you had named names, exactly. that would have put your life in jeopardy. 
So well, you had it, to, you had to, you couldn't get the information unless you made a compromise. And a compromise is not necessarily a bad thing, correct? Correct. And, and you know, so there were, there were two, we had two options essentially change, change details in the book that will protect our sources, right? So that means changing. That in some cases, changing names, locations, details to make right. sure that, a, that another person can't figure out the identity of this character, right? And I understand but that, that that's controversial. The, the, that doesn't change the truth of what was happening. Exactly. And the truth of what was happening was reported all over the local newspapers. <laughs> and, and so we know, we know the truth, but what we had was an agenda by local media to save face and to not want another reporter, me, to come in and, and, and beat them in their own territory. And there's a lot of egotism in journalism. And, I'm sure uh, there's there a is. Lot of, and there's a lot of corporate but also, there's a lot, there are corporate But also, in since you wrote that in 2017, here we are two years later, and it's even worse than when you were reporting it, on it. It's, even, it's tripled, quadrupled, ten times as bad as it was when you first started reporting on it, isn't it? It's, it's, it's worse nationwide and it's worse in Baltimore because all of the same storylines that we found in that book have all gotten worse. All the, the, the violence is, you know, and, and so the idea that it was, it was troubling to me that, 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 that the local media would try to suppress that my book and the information in my book because right. what's, what's in that book is still going on. And and right. um, and so I would encourage people. You know, obviously it's, it's a it's a it's a powerful book. It's a controversial book. Um, it's still out there because it's true. And the publisher, St. Martin, stood by it because it's true. And I want people to. Go, I encourage people to go out and want to really know what happened during the Baltimore riots. Go read Phil City. Um, and and you know it's still going on. So so encourage right. your your local local outlet to to cover things that the local press is not covering. Um, whether that's in Baltimore or New York or or in Central Florida, wherever you are, right? There, that's that's important. But yes, the opioid epidemic is exploding. Um, it's it's affecting all. It's cutting across all demographics, everyone, demographic groups, all demographics. It, it's true. And it's our yes. it's our great national disgrace because what we need to do as a country is come together and have have essentially a Marshall Plan to help treat addiction in this country. And we are we are either unwilling or politically unable or unwilling. To do it, we just, we just, right. you know, it just doesn't seem like we're going to be able to combat the kind of this is this might be too big a challenge for this country, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be because we can solve it. We can get people the help they need, right. we can get them the care they need, but it would take a massive effort and uh, political will, political capital. We can do it, but we need the leaders that are willing to do it. Well, we also need to want to understand that one addict in our community is not a good thing. It spawns more. I want to move on just right now because we're almost out of time. Let's talk about A Dark Turn, your podcast. Dark Turn is, is, uh, I I love doing it because not only is it, not only do, do the readers get to learn uh, uh, on air about great new true crime books and um, and trends in crime and criminality and criminal investigative and research criminal investigations and research, but I learn a ton. I mean, so so the dark turn is essentially a, 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 a my podcast on on the on the authors on the air radio global radio network that um, we delve into a different tr- a true crime book on each episode. 
Um, sometimes it's, a, it's usually true crime authors. Sometimes it's someone in the world of criminality, criminal investigations. Um, but, but we've had um, people like James Renner on the show. Uh, James Renner wrote the book True Crime Addict. Um, he's a, he investigated for years the Maura Murray disappearance. He's a, a brilliant true crime writer. We picked his brain and talked about the impact that, that, that reporting has had, that, that reporting these really dark stories and delving in and investigating these disappearances have had on him and his personal life. We talked to um, uh, one of the preeminent, uh, we, we, we talked to uh, preeminent uh, writers uh, who are looking at arson uh, investigation science and the way that's wow. changing. We talked to uh, a writer um, who, 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 wrote, who wrote about a local crime, a series of local crimes and gangs in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, hyper-local journalism that she turns essentially into an investigative nonfiction narrative account. So we, we delve into uh, in criminality, the mind, of, the mind of the criminal, how, criminal, how, how criminality affects communities and affects this country because a lot of this country, it, 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 crime, crime is part of everything we do, and it's not always bad. Yes. I mean, it, it, there's right. good, there's bad, but it's part of the fabric of this country. I mean, look at look And it's at how JFK, we deal with Potter. crime, right? It's how we do with crime we, too. Right. right. It's a question of you know, as a society, how do we punish? How do we how do we treat perpetrators? How do we treat victims? And how and how so do we, victims recover from crime? As you know, I'm a I'm a crime survivor myself. So, you know, these things interest me much. Um Kevin, tell everyone where they can find you on the webs, including a dark turn and Bronx Justice News, please. Yeah, so uh, Dark Turn, just go, go on Facebook and type in a Dark Turn with Kevin Deutsch, and you'll find our Facebook page, or Google Dark Turn with Kevin Deutsch and SoundCloud. You'll find our episodes on SoundCloud as well as other podcast platforms. Um, and Bronx Justice News, uh, the, where I'm now uh, a staff reporter uh, covering courts and investigations in the Bronx, uh, just log on to BronxJusticeNews.com and uh, feel free to read our work, and, and if you like what you read and want to support local journalism, uh, you can click on the button and make a donation. And uh, we encourage uh, – I, I just encourage everybody to go out and support your local news outlets and, and also be your own voice in your community. Um, there you go. Whether, whether that's supporting your local podcaster or the newspaper, just make sure the truth is getting out there because uh, the, the more people telling it, the more – informed we are going to be as a society and as a democracy, which is what we need to be to keep this, Absolutely. this, this great experiment going. So um, this is Kevin Deutsch. Kevin is um, an award-winning journalist. He's an author and he's the host of the Dark Turned podcast. Um, I hope that you go and support him. The Authors on the Air Global Radio Network supports the um, Bronx Justice News. We believe in local reporting. We think it's important to be informed about what is going on in our own communities first before we move outward and look at a national view. Kevin Deutsch, you're the best. Thank you for being with me on Authors on the Air. I so appreciate you being here. Let's talk again. Well, we're all going to talk again in July. I'm inviting all the hosts from the network on, right? That sounds great, Pam. And I, I thank you for having me on. I, it was a pleasure talking to you. I wish we had more time. I would be talking to you for two hours probably. <laughs> and you and I will be talking again soon. Thank you for being here. Thank you, listeners. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later.